Hello and welcome to Bite Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. As part of our ongoing series on the First World War, today we're going to be getting a first hand account, a first hand perspective of the war by a German writer called Ernst Jünger. He served in the war and was very famous in Germany afterwards. He was born in 1895 and died in 1998 at the ripe old age of 102. He was almost 103, actually. His memoir of the war, which is called Storm of Steel, which is a translation of the German in Stahlgewittern, uh, is one of the most famous firsthand accounts of the First World War. One, because it's it has kind of a very matter-of-factly tone. It was very popular in Germany after the war. And Ernst Jünger himself was really, he was a war hero. The amount of times that he was decorated for his bravery in combat and the amount of times he was wounded um, makes this a very important work of literature in this field. Before we get started uh, on a few selected readings, I'd like to give you a few key points about Ernst Jünger's life. Like I said, he was born in 1895, and he ran away and joined the French Foreign Legion in 1913, just before the war. But his father had him hauled back to Germany. In 1914, he volunteered for the German army and was part of a regiment called the 73rd Hanoverian Fusiliers. A, uh, a fusilier is just uh, a, a slightly old-timey way of saying a rifleman. It's from the French word fusil, mean, meaning rifle. He served as an officer on the Western Front uh, throughout the war. He was uh, very brave, decorated many, many times, uh, and you're going to see this in some of the readings we're going to look at. After the war, he published this book, Storm of Steel, which was very popular in Germany. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, in the few years after the war, he was discharged from the army in 1923, and he studied zoology and botany at the universities of Leipzig and Naples. He resisted uh, Hitler's offers of friendship in the late 20s and, uh, quote, declined to join the Nazi movement even after it came to power in Germany in 1933. He did serve in the German army uh, as a staff officer in Paris during World War II. Uh, but again, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, by 1943, he had turned decisively against Nazi totalitarianism and its goal of world conquest. He was dismissed from the army in 1944 after he was indirectly implicated with fellow officers who had plotted to kill Hitler. And for the rest of his life, uh, during the Cold War, he wrote a number of books, journals, opinions, novels. Uh, his collected works were published over a five-year period from 1978 to 1983. And again, he died in 1998 when he was almost 103. And that's just mind-blowing given the number of wounds he actually suffered during the First World War. Um, and it, it's just crazy to think that maybe some of those shards, those splinters of rifle bullets and bombs and shrapnel 
Who knows how much of that was still in his body when he died in 1998 after carrying those shards within him for 80 years. One of the most common criticisms of Ernst Jünger was that he was a militarist who glorified war. And after having read this book, I can definitely see why people say that, but I don't think it's as extreme as it's made out to be. I often have to remind myself of the world that he grew up in, not having the benefit of hindsight that we do today after enduring the constant extreme violence of the 20th century, uh, which kind of maybe dampened some of the old-fashioned 19th century ideas about the glory and the majesty and the heroism of war. This shattering of illusions regarding warfare ties very nicely into the first theme that I want to get into with these readings from Storm of Steel. That is to say, Jünger's initial experience of war and how quickly that turned. This is from the very first chapter entitled Oraiville. Quote, The war had entered into us like wine. We had set out in a rain of flowers to seek the death of heroes. The war was our dream of greatness, power, and glory. It was a man's work, a duel on fields whose flowers would be stained with blood." End quote. After his first day in the war, he saw a group of wounded soldiers being carried. He wrote then, quote, What was all this then? The war had shown its claws and torn off its pleasant mask. It was so mysterious, so impersonal." End quote. After spending some time with his unit, he wrote, quote, After a short while with the regiment, we had pretty well lost the illusion with which we had set out. Instead of the dangers that we hoped for, only mud and work and sleepless nights had fallen to our lot, and the conquest of these called for a heroism that was little to our taste." End quote. Upon coming across a field of bodies, Jünger described it as, quote, We looked at all these dead with dislocated limbs, distorted faces, and the hideous colors of decay as though we walked in a dream through a garden full of strange plants, and we could not realize at first what we had all around us." End quote. Now I'd like to share a selection of readings regarding the, the concept, the theme of what it was like to be in combat, according to Ernst Jünger. This first one is when he was part of an attempted trench raid at night, crawling towards enemy lines, he wrote, quote, The fray will have to be short and murderous. You are a quiver with two violent sensations, the tense excitement of the hunter and the terror of the hunted, end quote. Mm-hmm. 
One of the worst nightmares of an infantryman in the First World War was being caught in the open without cover when the artillery starts raining down around you. And Jünger did write about this with, quote, I believe I have found a comparison that exactly conveys what I, in common with all the rest who went through the war, experienced in a situation such as this. It is as if one were tied tight to a post and threatened by a fellow swinging a sledgehammer. Now the hammer is swung back for the blow. Now it whirls forward till just missing your skull, it sends splinters flying from the post once more. That is exactly what it feels like to be exposed to heavy shelling without cover." End quote. Jünger wrote about fighting in the Battle of Guimont from September 3rd to September 6th, 1916. First, with, quote, Thousands of twitching flashes turned the western horizon into a sea of flowers, end quote. Then went on to say, quote, The ground all round, as far as the eye could see, was plowed by shells. You could search in vain for one wretched blade of grass, this churned-up battlefield was ghastly. Among the living lay the dead. One company after another had been shoved into the drum fire and steadily annihilated." End quote. He talks about how this village, this village of Guimont, disappeared. It was pounded into nothingness with, quote, The village of Guimont was distinguished from the landscape around it only because the shell holes were of a whiter color by reason of the houses which had been ground to powder." End quote. That's mind-boggling to me that this village, this collection of buildings just disappeared and the only way that you could see that there had been something there was the crumbled powder from the masonry was a different color than the heaps of soil that had been thrown up. Jünger reflects on why and how men could do this with the following, quote, And yet, the strangest thing of all was not the horror of the landscape in itself, but the fact that these scenes, such as the world had never known, were fashioned by men who intended them to be a decisive end to the war, end quote. So in Jünger's mind, this was not some kind of apocalyptic natural event. He just couldn't believe the devastation, but behind that devastation was the idea that men had done this on purpose. When writing about hiding from an artillery barrage, he wrote this, quote, you cower in a heap alone in a hole and feel yourself the victim of a pitiless thirst for destruction. With horror, you feel that all your intelligence, your capacities, your bodily and spiritual characteristics have become utterly meaningless and absurd. While you think of it, the lump of metal that will crush you to a shapeless nothing may have started on its course." End quote. 
In a later chapter entitled Langemark, he writes about how a wooded area had been completely destroyed. Quote, the remains of a large wood, black, branchless, and splintered stumps, stuck up in isolation here and there from the scarred Flanders Plain. Immense swaths of smoke drifted through the air and hung the sky with a gloomy, heavy pall. Stinking gases, yellow and brown, hung and swayed heavily to and fro over the earth that the shells tore up so mercilessly again and again." End quote. He describes the dead that lay in no man's land with the following quote, On my zigzag course, I passed many a lonely and forgotten corpse. Often only a head or a hand projected from the shell hole whose circle of dirty water reflected them. Thousands sleep like that without one token of love to mark the unknown grave. End quote. In the chapter, The Great Offensive, Jünger wrote about that feeling of coming down after an assault, after all the chaos of combat. He wrote, quote, It is not till the blood has flowed that the mist gives way in his soul. He looks round him as though waking from the bondage of a dream, end quote. The First World War truly had a devastating effect on the people that were caught up in it. And Ernst Jünger, more than once in Storm of Steel, writes about the importance of morale uh, for the value of fighting men and the psychological stresses that soldiers go through. In the first chapter, he writes, quote, Trenches are not the first thing but the courage and freshness of the men behind them. Battles are won by iron hearts in wooden ships, end quote. In a later chapter entitled Dushi and Monshi, he expanded on this idea, this value of morale, when he wrote, quote, the security of a position depends on the freshness of its defenders and their fighting spirit not the length of communication trenches and the depth of the firing line, end quote. He wrote about a little later about how wars now, like this new modern war, the first world war that he was tangled up in, it was no longer a war of brief, furious combat encounters like so many previous wars. This was a long, grinding affair that really wore down the men that were involved in it. He wrote, quote, For I cannot too often repeat, a battle was no longer an episode that spent itself in blood and fire. It was a condition of things that dug itself in remorselessly, week after week and month after month, end quote. And then a few chapters later, he talks about how this wearing down of the spirit is something that 
we have to remember that these soldiers were living in the ground in all seasons, all types of weather. It was wet, it was cold, and um, according to Jünger, that's what would really break them, was being in that misery for too long. Quote, And here I permit myself the observation that even artillery fire does not break the resistance of troops as surely as wet and cold. End quote. Oftentimes, when people think about the First World War, one of the first things that pops into their head is maybe the trenches or machine guns or what I'm about to talk about, poison gas. The First World War was the first time in history that we had seen the deployment of these truly horrific weapons. And Jünger, like millions of other soldiers, had an opportunity to see and experience gas attacks firsthand. In the chapter entitled The Overture to the Somme Offensive, he wrote about witnessing the effects on the landscape that uh, this poison gas had. Quote, Next morning, we had the opportunity of marveling at the effects of a gas attack. Nearly every green thing was withered, snails and moles lay dead on every side, and any dispatch riders' horses that were in Manchi had water running from their mouths and eyes. The ammunition and the shell splinters that lay everywhere were covered with a beautiful green patina." End quote. In a later chapter, Jünger writes about gas attacks with, quote, On the other hand, the frequent gas attacks were unpleasant and claimed many victims. They were carried out by means of hundreds of iron cylinders buried in the earth and discharged by electricity in a salvo of flame. As soon as the light showed, gas alarm was given, and anyone who had not his mask on and the flap well tucked in found himself in a bad way. In many spots, too, the gas reached an almost absolute density that even the mask was useless since there was literally no oxygen there to breathe. Consequently, there were many casualties." End quote. The concept of honor is something that comes up frequently in Storm of Steel. It seems to have permeated Jünger's whole being. One thing he wrote about two or three times throughout his memoir was the idea of having respect for your enemies. In the chapter Trench Warfare Day by Day, he wrote the following, quote, It has always been my ideal in war to eliminate all feelings of hatred and to treat my enemy as an enemy only in battle and to honor him as a man according to his courage. It is exactly in this that I have found many kindred souls among British officers." End quote. 
Interestingly, he elaborated on this in a later chapter entitled Against Indians with the quote, What does Nietzsche say of fighting men? You must have as enemies only those whom you hate, but not those whom you despise. You must be proud of your enemy, and then the enemy's success is your success also. End quote. In a later chapter entitled The Great Offensive, Jünger writes about the atrocity that's committed when men kill those who have surrendered or are prisoners with, quote, To kill a defenseless man is a baseness. Nothing in the war was more repulsive to me than those heroes of the mess tables who used to repeat with a fat laugh the familiar tale of the prisoners marched in. Did you hear that about the massacre? Priceless. End quote. For this next segment, I wanted to share with you a collection of readings that Jünger wrote about kind of the more quirky parts of army life. These are quotes that I picked because it's like, oh, hey, that's a weird thing about army life in the trenches that I wouldn't have thought of. So I wanted to start with this one about rat hunting. Jünger wrote, quote, Rat hunts are a favorite diversion in the dreary round of trench duty. A piece of bread is laid as a bait, and a rifle carefully sighted on it, or the explosive is taken from the duds, strewn in their holes and ignited till with shill shrieks their singed bodies shot forth, repulsive, nauseous creatures." I just love the way this next quote is written. It's from the chapter at St. Pierre Vast, where Jünger writes about the men in his unit kind of flirting, fooling around, maybe sleeping with the local women, when he wrote, quote, Our relations with the civilian population, too, were to a great extent, of an undesirable familiarity. Venus deprived Mars of many servants, end quote. All over the Western Front, where the Germans would dig trenches, they really settled in for the long haul. They actually poured concrete. And one of the features of the trench lines were these built-in subterranean bunkhouses that were filled with, you know, bunk beds and and stuff like that. Uh, But a lot of times the walls were still just packed earth. And Jünger wrote, quote, When one lay in sweet idleness on the wire mattress, gigantic earthworms hung pendulum-wise from the earth wall and shot back into their holes with inconceivable rapidity at the least touch, end quote. At one point, Jünger comments on the manners of the Prussian officers with, quote, Afternoon coffee time is sometimes positively cheerful. Often, the NCO is bidden to give one of the officers his company on these occasions. It is done with great punctiliousness. May I permit myself most obedient thanks. A delightful quality of the Prussian officer is this precision of politeness in all situations. It gives something firm and characteristic even to the youngest of them. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> 
towards the end of the war um, and partially as a result of the British blockade of German ports, the German people and the German military were really running out of food. Um, in fact, it was so bad that one of the previous winters had been called the turnip winter because that's all people ate that winter. In the chapter entitled My Last Storm, so this would have been in the summer of 1918, Junger wrote, quote, Here, too, we were miserably fed. For a long while, there was nothing for supper but gherkins, which the men very dryly and aptly called gardener's sausage, end quote. In this very same chapter called My Last Storm, Junger wrote about the British dropping uh, propaganda pamphlets. And the last line of this quote, I think, is just great. He wrote, quote, I spent my leisure time reading, bathing, shooting, and writing. On my rides, I found vast quantities of literature thrown down from aeroplanes. It was designed to hasten the moral deterioration of the army. Among it was even Schiller's poem of Britannia the Free. It seemed to me very clever of the English to bombard us with poetry, and also very flattering to us. A war in which one fought with verses would indeed be a treat." End quote. And I just think that by the summer of 1918, to have Jünger reflecting on everything that has happened over the past four years with the line, a war in which one fought with verses would indeed be a treat, is very, very touching. The last idea I'd like to talk about is Jünger's opinion, Jünger's reflections on what did this all mean. There were many veterans after the war and many military and civilian officials that held the belief that this generation had been completely ruined by the war. But it seems that Jünger did not have that opinion. In his opinion, the war had hardened them into better, stronger people. When he wrote, quote, Hardened as scarcely another generation ever was in fire and flame, we could go into life as though from the anvil, into friendship, love, politics, professions, and into all that destiny had in store. It is not every generation that is so favored, end quote. So I just found that very interesting and I wanted to share that. Immediately after the previous quote that I read, he continued with the following, quote, And if it be objected that we belonged to a time of crude force, our answer is, we stood with our feet in mud and blood, yet our faces were turned to things of exalted worth. And not one of that countless number who fell in our attacks fell for nothing, end quote. And I think this is kind of his response to a lot of his uh, comrades, both on his side and on the other side, who had this kind of nihilistic belief that the war was just this horrible, 
cavernous, gaping maw of death where a whole generation of young men had just marched willingly into it. So I found that very interesting. If I had just read this alone, the two previous quotes that I shared with you, I would have thought, uh, hmm, there's maybe a concerning kind of seed of proto-fascism there, or, or, well, definitely heightened nationalism. But uh, according to what I read from the Encyclopedia Britannica, he he did reject uh, Nazism and was eventually booted out of the army for being indirectly associated with the plot to kill Hitler in 1944. So I just thought that was interesting because if you really, really read into this kind of idea that well, really, the basic idea here is that war actually makes people better. So, and and that's a very kind of fascist uh, notion. Just a few more little details I'd like to share about Ernst Jünger before we close things out. Interestingly, uh, he was an atheist for most of his life though during his later years he converted to Catholicism. So he also was the recipient of the Iron Cross First Class and the Pour le Merit, which is uh, one of the highest orders of merit in the Kingdom of Prussia. Um, so he didn't just win a bunch of medals, he won a lot of the very highest medals. Uh, in the very last chapter, he wrote the following, quote, I found that I had been hit in all 14 times, six times by rifle bullets, once by a shrapnel bullet, once by a shell splinter, three times by bomb splinters, and twice by splinters of rifle bullets. Counting the ins and outs, this made precisely 20 punctures." End quote. And this is in addition to one or two incidents that I had read earlier in the book where I believe there was one finger on his left hand where the top segment was blown off. And on his right hand, I believe the tip of his index finger was also blown off by explosives. I realized that the tone of this episode was very somber in nature, but I, I really wanted to kind of pay the appropriate respects to this guy and uh, really kind of delve into it in a serious way to give you this firsthand account uh, from a German perspective on the war. In a future episode, I would like to maybe tackle a firsthand account from a British or French soldier. Um, and the reason why I've chosen those is because there's just a lot more of those and they're more easily available than, say, a firsthand account from a Russian or Ottoman soldier. But definitely stay tuned. And if you have any comments on Ernst Jünger, for example, do you think he was a proto-fascist? Uh, or what do you think of his opinions that war can often make people better or can elevate people to a heightened state of being. So don't be shy in leaving comments on that either. That's going to do it for us today. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. And this has been Bite Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick your host.